Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. Pat Battle's journalism career is an accomplished one. The veteran award-winning reporter has been with WNBC-TV in New York since 1996. She's the senior New Jersey correspondent covering many breaking stories in the Garden State. Pat won a National Emmy, one of two, and Edward R. Murrow Award as part of the station's team coverage of Hurricane Sandy in 2012. She's also the co-host of WNBC's Weekend Today. Pat began her career in print as a reporter for New Jersey's Asbury Park Press, first as a college intern and then as a beat reporter. Then it was off to New Jersey Network News as a general assignment reporter and also host of a weekly public affairs show before moving on to Philadelphia for the NBC-owned WCAU-TV. From there, she spent three and a half years at WCBS-TV, where she was recognized as one of the best live reporters in the region. And clearly that hasn't changed at all in the more than 20 (laughs) years that she's been with WNBC. Pat has worked tirelessly to lend both her voice and support to numerous public service organizations across New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. She is known for her charity work with breast cancer, autism, Down syndrome, and Alzheimer's. She's been honored by, among others, the Jackie Robinson Cultural Center, the Girl Scouts of America. In 2008, she was named broadcast legend by McDonald's Faces of Black History campaign, And she was recently inducted into the Silver Circle, the New York chapter of the National Academy of TV Arts and Sciences. Those are the people who bring us the Emmys. And she joins such stellar names as Walter Cronkite, Ruby Dee, and Dan Rather. Pat, welcome, and thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Sandy. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So journalism, a career, you always wanted to pursue that. And was it your plan to go from print to broadcasting? Second half, yes. First half, no. I My original career determination, destination was I wanted to be a vet. Seriously? You know I love animals. You've seen my house. (laughs) (laughs) I I wanted to be a veterinarian. And my parents were prepared to take out a second mortgage on their home to send me to medical school. And I've always had a deathly fear of worms. I know. It's sad. Give me a snake. I'm fine. A worm, caterpillar, I go ballistic. But... I got and to, dogs can get worms. Exactly. Every kitten and puppy I ever had had to be dewormed, and usually the worms don't come out in the vet's office. They come out at home, and you have to Ugh. look for them. Okay. Yeah. So I struggled with that, but I thought I could get over it. Well, you could have your partner dewormed well, or whatever, yeah, right? When I was a kid and we took my dog to the vet, it would be like, you know, the doctor, and pretty much that was it. And I would, you know, come home, and you'd have to watch for the dog to, you know, eliminate the worms, <laughs> and then you'd have to get them up, and I never did. I'd had to get somebody else to come get them. So. When I got to uh, my senior year in high school, we had to dissect animals, of course. The frog. Oh, yeah, the yeah. Pig. You yeah. remember, Oh, right? sure I do, yes. The frog and the pig. and then Well, I never did a pig. You we did, did a pig? A, we did a fetal pig, yeah. Oh, my God. And to this day, I must thank Chris Wahlberg, my lab partner, who, when we got to the worm and he realized that I could not touch <laughs> You're having it. a breakdown. Yep, yep. I was having a breakdown and waited until this science teacher turned her back and he dissected my worm for me because I couldn't do it. Please don't tell. But um, And then I realized that I'm not going to be a veterinarian. I could not stomach the worms. So uh, I had a wonderful high school English teacher named Mr. Miller who thought I had a wonderful relationship with William Faulkner. 
And that, you know, when you're, you're that required reading. Sure. And he thought that I was able to interpret material so well. He said, have you ever thought about a career in English? And I'm like, well, not really English, but yeah, maybe journalism. And at that time, Max Robinson was on the air, the first African-American network anchor out of Chicago, Max Robinson. Was the first? That? And anchor. that would be what year? Oh, my goodness. This was in 1977, 1976. All right. I looked to Max and that wasn't, it wasn't like I had an aha moment, mm-hmm. but he made me know it was possible. Uh, to be African-American and to be on television mm-hmm. delivering the news. And so I kind of had a shift. As I said, it was my senior year in high school. And I went to the University of Maryland, declared my major, and I said, I'll give journalism a shot. As you pointed out in that lovely intro, thank you so much. I didn't I, make uh, it up, kiddo. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, had an opportunity to um, intern at my local paper and got a chance to write some really great stories, and the seed was planted. Was it a natural act for you then? Especially writing for television. It's a challenge. I mean, when I was in newspaper, you worried about inches, but I could use words. Mm -hmm. You know, in television, when I got to television, and this was a a very interesting transition, when I got to New Jersey Nightly News, and I was, I can't remember the first, I should really actually go back and look this up one day, but I used a word, I'll say, uh, psychosomatic, mm-hmm. I'll mm-hmm. say, in a, in, a, in a story. And the news director actually called me in and he said, Pat, you need to understand that the average television viewer, the average television viewer is not going to get that word. And, you know, people aren't going to go running to the dictionary. If you're reading a newspaper, you don't understand a word. You can, you know, turn back then. There was yeah, no look internet. Up the, yeah, okay? There course. wasn't no, sure. Google, no quick Google or grab right. your smartphone. Right. And he pointed that out to me and he said, really, you know, I'd prefer, I think it's best if you try to stick to, unless it's a common word, words that are like three syllables. So what would be a better word than psychosomatic? Nuts? Nuts. Crazy. Nuts. But I always felt that that was denigrating Duh. to a person. Right? Mm-hmm. right. And I also felt that it was our job to educate people. Hey, if you don't know what psychosomatic, turn and ask someone or, or, or yeah, go look it up. Or maybe but, listen to the rest of the story and then you'll figure it exactly, out. Exactly. I want to just pick up on something for just a second. Yeah. When you were talking about Max Robinson, he was the first African-American, but there were definitely women on television back then, mm-hmm. but they were certainly not ubiquitous. Right. They they certainly were not. Um, Of course, you know, we had Barbara Walters, a Mm -hmm. a Today Girl, but women, and especially women of color, you Mm -hmm. know, there there was a dearth of women of color. So what was that like not to see you on the screen? You know what, Sandy? I grew up in a household where that was not going to be a deterrent to what I wanted to do. My mother... Uh, and I had I, I was blessed to have both my parents um, in my life for until recently. My mm-hmm. mom passed away six years ago. My dad, unfortunately, 19 years. My mother was a trailblazer. She was the first African-American and the first woman ever to be elected to the council, city council, town council in the town that I grew up in on the Jersey Shore, which is Neptune, the, mm-hmm. the, 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 the township of Neptune. And this was coming right out of the very turbulent 60s. She was elected in 1973. And my mom, she had been a school teacher. She was a social worker. She retired as an investigator with Consumer Affairs. But she'd always been one of these people who believed in doing the right thing, always. So she raised us. I came from a, a home where education was, it was without question. Paramount. Education was power and paramount. And my mom was one of these people that just didn't take no for an answer. So when they asked her to run, because she was just very popular in test, she's a school teacher. Everybody loved her. We always had a house full of kids and we didn't see color. Um, we were this only the second family, African-American family to move into that town when my parents bought their house in Neptune. And, and you know, never felt? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We felt it, but I never felt it was insurmountable. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. Oh mm-hmm. my goodness. Yeah. We had, we, we definitely had issues, but my mother was such a force of nature that 
not a lot of people wanted to go up against my mother. And Mm -hmm. with words. So when she ran, she got so much of the popular vote that they wanted her to become mayor. And she said, no, I think I want to be police commissioner because they, they were appointed positions. And so the council would decide amongst themselves who would take which position, you know, within the, the governing body. And so there was a mayor, deputy mayor, police commissioner. And she said, I think I could be more effective, especially coming out of the, the 60s, the late 1960s, mm-hmm. when we saw such turmoil and riots in this country. And we, we were affected right there in Asbury Park, the next town over. She thought she could be much more effective on that front. And so she was the first African-American woman to be a police commissioner in the state of New York. Isn't that something? And she was amazing. I mean, and she, to this day, Sandy, that was 1973. To this day, when I go home, I've had young police officers, people all over that community come up to me. And on behalf of this town, I want to thank you for what your mother did. Without your mother, I would not be here. So when you have a mother like that... So the bar is high. The bar is set high, but you also know that there is nothing but what's within you to stop you from getting over that bar. And so I was raised in a household where I knew that all things are possible. My mom was my role model. I mean, but so when, when I looked up the television and I see a Max Robinson, I said, okay, I can do that. And I knew that, yeah, there's a role for me there. However, I did print, as you know. I was at the Asbury Park Press for, and, and I was so thankful to have that foundation in print, you know, the basic structure, how to pursue a story. Well, that's also, that's just also the work, too. It has nothing to do with what you look like in terms of attractiveness. You're making the donuts. Exactly. Back in the day when I was in print, and that's how kind of I got into television because newspaper uh, reporters, I mean, we're, you know, we're churning out stories. We had beats, you know, mm-hmm, and my mm-hmm. beat was Asbury Park. I mm-hmm. covered, you know, the city. And I had a, uh, a reporter called me about a story they saw in the paper because that's where, you know, Te- television journalists get everybody absolutely steals reading. from everybody else. Yeah, I wouldn't. Let's, well, uh, yeah, okay, okay. All right. I don't like to say steal, but because oh, of that, that's like, a good idea. Yeah. You mean? Yeah, I know. Being but, in the business but too, you yeah. read, yeah. and that's yeah. how you find yeah. out information. Sure. We're, I can't. I'm certainly not all knowing, so you know, I, right. I definitely read. And I'm like, oh, that's an interesting little story, and then you maybe put your take own it and put your own spin. Mm-hmm. Exactly, mm-hmm. or flesh it out more, right. or and maybe it turns out not to be the case because not everything you read. Is true. So one day I did a story on, I was doing a story on, I believe it was the rebirth of Asbury Park uh, again. And uh, <laughs> I know it's an ongoing theme for my many years uh, living down at the Jersey Shore. And uh, a reporter from New Jersey Nightly News called me and asked me for, you know, how to reach some of them, my contacts that were in the story. And I said, I'm talking to him. And I said, how, uh, how about a little quid pro quo? Who's your news director? Gave me a name. And I said, uh, I've always wanted to give TV a shot. Um, I said, maybe, you know, I'll give him a call. It was a gentleman by the name of Mark Helms, to whom I owe, you know, my career, my career, in a sense, you know, at least launching it. And, uh, you know, I went down and talked to him and he said, why do you want to make this jump? And I said, (laughs) ballsy person that I am. I said to him, uh, I I was born to broadcast. I was born to broadcast. That's how I know. And uh, he said, all right, then here, here's a crew. And I had to go out and I did a story that, uh, you know, that I had generated on my own. And, um, in Asbury Park, and I went out and shot it and put it together, and he said, hey, nice job, and, you're, you know, you got the gig. He looked past your gender, and he looked past your race, and he looked at what you produced and what you did, and he said, we want her. Well, I would hope so, Sandy. And I has mean, that I been endemic with your career? I would venture to say that, mm, you know, I want to try to remain objective. I can't look at one news director or another and say, you know, they hired me because of this, but I know I do good work. Okay. Uh, I also know that I don't look like a lot of 
of other people. I will never be a size two with these broad shoulders. Why would I want to be? My skin will never be any lighter. I won't look exotic. Uh, and that's not to take anything away from the women who are in this job, uh, who are on television and look a certain way. But generally speaking, I do not fit that, that mold. That mold. And, and, and that has that because, not been a problem. Well, you know what I like to say? A problem Mm. An impediment? An impediment, perhaps. But, you know, it's funny you should ask because I know how the viewers respect, admire, and love me. And it's a mutual feeling, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I know that largely— A fact's a fact, Pat. Well, I once had an opportunity to audition for The View many years ago, and my news director wouldn't let me But uh, at the time because it was another station. You know, they were doing—it was uh, after—I believe after—who left? Lisa Ling— uh, I can't remember. It was many years ago. So my agent said to me at the time, he said, well, you know, why don't you put together a reel? And I'm like, well, I never really have a working reel. I don't keep one. I said, if, you know, people, if they see my work, they know what I do. It's here in the market. They they can look up and see what I do. And then he said, uh, well, you know, you can you can interview with them anyway and buck the trend. And I, I thought about it. I'm like, you know what? I don't think I'm going to, to do that because I can't go anywhere now without being recognized. I'm wondering... Without deifying you, does that make you an anomaly? Ooh, I don't think so. I think there are a lot of folks who uh, on the air who are pretty much like that. I mean, you know, I when I was inducted into the Silver Circle the other day, Sandy, I, and one thing, you know, we all had to, you know, we didn't have to, but, you know, made a little, a couple of comments. And one thing I said, I, I'm so thankful for WNBC um, because they let me be me. You know, they nobody's ever come to me and said, Pat, you know what? You really need to lose 30 pounds. Uh, Pat, you know, um, they kind of let me be me because I, I think they recognize that being me is the best thing about me for them. Um, and and that's what people like. I mean, people want to see, you know, the girl next door. I'm no Jennifer Aniston, you know, that not that kind of girl next door. But, you know, I am, I am your pal, Pat, who made it. Mm-hmm. Um, you mm-hmm. know, and I've been in this market for 25 years. And I it, it just dawned on me. I'm like, oh, my God, because, you know, if you can make it here. That's right. You that's can right. make it anywhere. So right. said Sinatra. So uh, I really feel like you asked me before, do you think this is my my being has been an impediment? Physically, perhaps some news directors looked at me and said, you know what? I don't think this is the person who I want anchoring my 6 and 11 o'clock news. Maybe, maybe not. However, it has also put me in a position where I think the, the, the viewers respect me so much for being me that it has allowed me to remain true to myself. Honest. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and I think, and I take that over, you know, losing 30 pounds and anchoring the 6 and 11 o'clock news, if that's what the deal is. But I can't say. I can't put myself in, in their shoes and say whether or not my appearance has been an, an, an impediment. I'm happy with me, and it's worked for me. Well, you remember back when, when, uh, when Oprah, whom I love and adore, lost all that weight, and people said, they thought she changed. I'm not sure, you know, mm-hmm, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm, and I'm mm-hmm. not sure that that, that, that was where that was a perception, but you feel better maybe when you look better. I don't know. But um, even when I go to hair and makeup on the weekends, I'm like, uh-uh, don't do too much. You know, I don't want to look. You would think that they would know that already, you know. Well, it's, um... You know, they're, they're artists. So, you know, they, mm-hmm. they and they've over the years, if it's, if it's a new person, they say, yeah, well, okay. what do you want to look like? I'm like, just nothing fancy. Just, mm-hmm. you know, the basic cover, the, you know, cover mm-hmm. the cover the, the bags under my eyes and, mm-hmm. you know, give me. But they all, they all do a great job. But it's like when there's someone new and, you know, they, they, they're glam squads. That's what they get paid to do. But I just want to be me. And that makes my life easier because I don't have to pretend. If you're just joining us, my guest today is television reporter Pat Battle, who has been with WNBC Channel 4 in New York City for well more than 20 years. 
I mentioned in the introduction that you won an award as part of the team coverage of Hurricane Sandy in 2012. Mm. Would you say that that was one of the most impactful stories of your career? That and 9-11, September 11. I worked that day, too. It yeah. was pretty... I couldn't cross the Hudson, and they closed the George Washington Bridge, all the crossings. I wound up being at Massive Hospital in Jersey City interviewing the walking wounded who were ferried over. You can't call that a highlight. It's a no, low light, but no, impactful. No. Um, that's changed your that, life. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, Sandy, mm-hmm. it did. It. I think mm. it changed all of ours oh, to for some sure. extent, right? But like you, I was on the Jersey side of the river taking my toddler to preschool and uh, heard it on the radio and like thought initially that uh, it was a small plane. And by the by the time I got to Hackensack University Medical Center, there's a daycare there. That's where my kids went to a preschool, and it's up on a hill. And as soon as I walked in, the security guard, they had a camera aimed uh, on the New York City skyline, and she said, look at this. She said, that's no small plane, Pat. And we, we, we watched the video for a moment. I raced my child upstairs and um, immediately started, you know, calling, trying, and and, and I said, uh, you know, you need to, we're going to try to get to the city. And, of course, by then the bridges and tunnels were shut down. So I called my cameraman. I said, let's head, as you did, to Jersey City. But we went to the waterfront, uh, not to the hospital. We went straight down to the Jersey City waterfront, and we were there when those people were being ferried back. So oh, you met your crew there? We went together, not in the same car, because I, I drive a, yes. a station car. So we were, we were on the turnpike, and I remember on the turnpike having to weave through all the cars that had stopped. People just stopped to watch. on the turnpike yes, with their yes. ha- hands on there. Oh, my yes. God. It, it was it was heartrending. And then trying to get to the streets of Jersey. So everywhere you went, it was the same scenario. People staring in disbelief at the skyline of, of New York. And uh, we finally made it to the waterfront. And um, that's where we stayed I for hours and hours on it well into the next day. But I remember I was there about an hour. And it occurred to me because my husband also works in the field. And and he was working the morning shift that day, and it occurred to me that he was likely had been sent to Lower Manhattan, and of course communication. You know, back then we did, we we had cell phones, but they were those big yeah. un- unwieldy mm-hmm, cell phones, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and nobody could get through. And I so you had no idea where he was, and he had no idea where you were. No, and it, that was my first breakdown. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and How did you, know, you personalize the story because it had an impact on you more than just what you witnessed? Where's my husband? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And and we had crews down there and and reporters, and because the building hadn't collapsed yet, when I by the time we got to Jersey City, the second plane had hit, but the first tower hadn't collapsed. And so when that tower collapsed, that's when it hit me that. Oh God! There are people on the ground there, not just in those buildings. You're praying that everybody's gotten out, getting out of the, the tower, the mm-hmm. tower, but but there there were people on the ground because those towers were 110 stories tall. It, 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 so I got on our two way radio in the truck, and I didn't care because you know you can generally hear and they can hear it at the desk and all the other trucks. And I'm like, has anybody seen Anthony? Has anybody seen Anthony? Mm-hmm. And nobody answered. Nobody, nobody. We that's the way we were communicating because that was the only way that because our tower, of course, was on top of the World Trade Center. And uh, I got no answer. And I didn't know until I don't think it was it was about three o'clock that morning before I finally knew that he was OK. But the next had day. Down there. They, so t- t- it was like the, the next nine, day. nine, twelve. He couldn't get back. Yeah. Just as I he couldn't get, get into in. the city, mm-hmm. he couldn't get out. Mm-hmm. And he uh, finally got word uh, that he, he called the home, the home phone and uh, our babysitter. I, we, I kept calling home, have you heard from him? Have you heard right. from him? And she, finally she said he called about 3 o'clock in the morning. And he owes his life to a, a, a Port Authority cop who, as he and his camera crew are approaching the tower, 
said, no, you can't go any further. And you know us as news people. We're like, okay, I'll just find another way. Right. And he turned to go around another block. And that's when the tower came down. And he, they tried to outrun that dust cloud, barely did, dodged into a deli. And he said everything went black. And, uh, of course, you know, you hear this story repeated 10,000 times from all the people who were down there. But everybody thinks that those are your last moments. And, and um he was he and his cameraman were in that deli for you know roughly 30 minutes he, he can't even tell the time and before they you know the dust didn't really clear but it light he said it was a black cloud what we see when we see it you know in pictures now it looks like gray, gray. and white yeah. but he mm-hmm. said it was black it was pitch black you couldn't see your hand in front of your face mm-hmm. and they finally came out of there and um and he just looked around and that was you know his first breakdown he still has those clothes keeps them in a plastic bag the shoes the shirt the jacket from September 11th. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it, that had to be the most impactful. You know, you take a story like that, not that you, there's any kind of comparison, and then you might just do, you know, th- then you get back to your normal life, but that's the ebb and flow of life. I right. mean, you certainly don't want another 9-11, obviously, and you certainly wouldn't want another 2012 in terms of Hurricane Sandy. And then everything else is what? I don't know, Sandy. Everything else. I mean, you know, you have the, the those are the you know the the most difficult times. But then, you know, when you're doing stories like that, um, those the, your continuing coverage of stories like that, and you're right, you do become so immersed in it that it becomes a part of you, you know. But it, I think, especially for September 11th, it was part of everybody. You know, my little boy was two at the time, and I remember for months and months and months, he had uh, he used to play with his Legos. He'd build two. This boy is two years old. He'd build these towers, and then he would fly a plane and crash into the towers. Oh, good Lord. Yeah. But then he'd say, look, Mommy, none of my people look. And he had his little Lego people on the ground below. He said, but all my people are okay. See, Mommy, my people didn't die. Mm-hmm. My, and, and we tried to shield him from it, but you couldn't. Mm-hmm. You could, it was inescapable. Mm-hmm. Um, Sandy, same thing. We're still dealing with the, the repercussions of, of Superstorm Sandy. And you realize these stories that, you know, we cover – um, seemingly from a distance, really impact people's That's lives. not true. And That's not true. It's not right. from, I mean, yes, you're supposed to be impartial. But you can't. But you can't be. You can't be. One of the, the on, on September 11th, two days after, I was in Ridgewood, New Jersey, covering a vigil because they lost, I believe it was 11, 12 people. And I was at the vigil, and we were, of course, in continuous coverage, round the clock, you know, whenever the network wasn't on, local was on. And we were doing an 11 o'clock broadcast, and it was about 10, 15 and I was standing, I, you know, I gathered everything. I was done. And this woman. Waiting for your live shot. Waiting for yeah. my live shot, of mm-hmm. course. And this woman comes up to me and she says, no one's interviewed my friend. She says, I have a friend. She lost her husband. And no one has come to interview her. And when you go to interview someone who's lost someone, it's a 50-50 shot. They either don't want to talk about it at all or this is a cathartic moment where they can share everything about their loved one that they feel the world has now lost. But to get to the point where you have to approach someone to ask them for that interview, for me personally, is the most difficult thing about my job. I stand in a blizzard, a snowstorm, I'll stand in a hurricane. Asking someone about a loved one that they've lost is the most difficult thing. And doesn't you get can any easier. Do. Mm-hmm. And either they're gonna slam the door in your face mm-hmm. or they're going to say, please come in. The world needs to know. So this woman says to me, please come to my friend's house. Her name is Lisa. And I'm looking at my watch. I'm like, oh, God, I don't really have time. But she's begging me. I went with her, 1020, and I met this young woman who had just been widowed. And she had twins. At the time, they were 
three. And uh, she, her husband was the breadwinner. She was a stay-at-home mom. Their little boy, Wyatt, had uh, was autistic, is autistic. And um, Lisa was surrounded by family. She was on the couch. She was just bedraggled, tearful, uh, just falling apart. But she wanted to talk. And her friend was right. And I talked to her about Stephen Patterson, her husband. And, and I hated to leave, but I had to. Um, and I'll never forget, she, I ended that, the piece, I put her on the top of the story. I was going to say, were you out. able to integrate her into your, I mean, with minutes to spare? Minutes to spare. And, but what she said was so profound and it was so, I mean, there were, there were probably 500 people at this vigil in the park in, in, in Ridgewood, but this was a woman whose story re- would resonate with every single person who watched it. And I knew it. And she, she said her, when the kids were born and, and her husband, um, he was, he worked for Cantor Fitzgerald and, um, he, she, they decided she'd stay at home, especially because Wyatt had special needs. And so she said, but, and Stephen would get up and go to work every morning early so that he could be home by dinner time, not to sit down and say, honey, what's for dinner? But she said as soon as he walked in the door at 6 o'clock every evening like clockwork, she said she would, he would take the kids, she, and he was a big bear of a man, handsome, oh, just I, a person you wish you'd met. And she, as soon as he walked in the door, the kids would, daddy, 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 and that was her time. And she would just, because she's been with these the, the twins all day, and he would just take over, no questions asked. He'd you know, get the kids ready for bed, do whatever needed, and, that, and give her her moment um, to unwind for the day. And the kids were just loved. They, they waited for that moment for him to walk in the door. At the end of the interview, you know, she was talking about how she was going to cope, and she was so thankful for, you know, her family and her friends. And she said, I, I just, I'm wondering now what I'm going to do every day. At six o'clock. Oh gosh! And it was heartrending. I mean, it was really and not not in a selfish way, but to have that man walk through the door every day and scoop those kids up into his arms and 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 you know just the joy of seeing that every day. She says, "I'm wondering what I'm going to do every day at six o'clock." And it was just so powerful because it was so simplistic in its power. You know, the things that we take for granted that your loved one's going to walk through that door every day at six o'clock, or that you know when they leave home they're coming back and. How was that to present that without having it impact you or didn't matter? Oh, no. It, it, we, we're still friends to this day. You know, you have a person. She's so beautiful and such a wonderful person. I have done stories um, on the anniversary. Um, I have uh, done stories with her multiple times since then. We, we are friends. She's on my speed dial here, you know, uh, Lisa Patterson and her and her beautiful children. And um it's just uh, I and I, there are a number of relationships like that that I have forged since then. You know, after 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 September 11th, um, but she's special. And it's it, it's you can't walk away. No, somebody. and it's also well, there's a lot of drudge in a job, mm-hmm. you know, and as you know, it's time to make the donuts mm-hmm. and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then you have something like that that's so that's so impactful. We've kind of run out of time. No, I know we could go on for days, but 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 kind of. Sum up your career. You found this niche that's lasted for so long, and it just so works for you. I mean, it's such a mutual, beneficial relationship. When I got this award, I'm like, oh, my God. At first, I was so honored. I'm like, wait a minute. That means I'm old. Don't be calling me a <laughs> Oh, legacy. but you look good. <laughs> <laughs> moisturize, girl. Got to moisturize. No, but I'm like, a legacy? And me? But I am so blessed, Sandy. Who? Who to thunk it, as my mother used to say, God rest her soul, who to thunk it that in this market, this very tough market, for 25 years. Um, and there was no to... compromise for you. And that's the greatest thing, that you were always so true to yourself. And you did 
what you do so well. You're too kind. But I like to think sometimes I um I actually you know, look back on an old story that I've done. I'm like, oh, that was good. You know, <laughs> you just take it, you know, it, because some, some, it's, it's a fire. It's a car accident, a horrible car accident. I always try to take each story and make it its own. There is no formula. There's no cookie cutter. And sometimes, unfortunately, you see so much of that. You know, the fire started at 3.51 a.m. On, on, you know, on a, on, a, on a cloudless night. And, you know, no, this home belonged to mm-hmm. A yeah. mother, three, yeah, three right. generations of families grew up here. You right. know what I mean? Uh, it, every story has its own vibe. Every story and everyone deserves to be told with respect and an understanding of the people because that's what it's all about, right? People. If it wasn't for people, we wouldn't be sitting mm-hmm. here working, mm-hmm. right, and and telling their stories. And I think that that is what has been my drive, and I am so blessed to have been able to do it for so long and in this great market, you know, that we call uh, the Big Apple. I don't know, Sandy, and where do I go from here? I mean, I uh, frankly, I'd love to do something where I could just sit back in jeans and a T-shirt, you know, with a nice big stein as you gave me this water. But it has <laughs> water in it. That has water in it. A great big you know, mug of, uh, of, of tea and do something that I really love. Still writing. I'd always be writing mm-hmm. uh, and creating because that's what we do, right? Creative women, we create. That's why you're here, woman. I mean, don't don't stop what you're doing. For the people who don't live in this area, you're missing some great stuff, but they can always Google you. Exactly. You know, and see how wonderful you are. Thank you for sharing everything, and thank you for being who you are. Aww. And that's just, you know, you called yourself blessed. Excuse me. We're blessed to be on the other side of that TV screen. Really, it's just wonderful. Stop, Sandy. No, really. It really is. <laughs> You're very Pat, kind. You know what I am? I'm just truthful. Yes, so, you are. I'm truthful. Yes, you are. <laughs> so, Pat, thanks so much for joining me and much more continued is it success or joy? You joy. know, joy in 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 your life and in your work. Thank you, my friend. Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. <laughs>